Welcome to By the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Paldoyan. So last week's winter storm has gotten a lot of attention around the country, and I wanted to find a way to address it on the show. On a personal note, I didn't have electricity or heat for three days. It was miserable. Um, I'm recording this intro on Sunday, and I'm still having to boil my water. So apologies for not recording an episode last week. Anyway, when the power finally did come back on, I celebrated with my buddy Gio, the general manager of a restaurant here in Houston called Uchi. We cracked open a couple of bottles of wine, and we discussed how he prepared Uchi for the cold weather, as well as the ways he has dealt with other crises in his restaurant career, from hurricanes to bomb threats to floods to the pandemic itself. Basically, I wanted to talk about last week's weather in relation to Houston hospitality and restaurant management in general. I think it's a really great conversation, and I think you'll like it too. Here we go. Um, I want you to tell me your name and where you work. My full name is Giordano Vincent Logrosso. Is it actually Vincent or it's Vincenzo, right? I believe my birth certificate says Vincenzo, but I always have gone by Vincent because that's what was given to me. When you say that's what was given to you, do you mean like... Um, it was just what I remembered like, like when someone asked me what my middle name was. Like growing up, like you have a relatively speaking ethnic name. Yes. Like relatively, I feel like it's considerably. Well, it's Western European ethnic. Sure. You know? Right. So it's got vowels you can pronounce. Yeah. So like Giordano, like growing up, like I remember my middle name is Aram, right? Which is the Armenian version of the name Adam. So like I was very self-conscious, like in elementary school, I'd say my middle name was like Andrew or some shit like that. Because I was like self. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was just super self-conscious about the fact that my middle name was something that I'd never seen anywhere else in my elementary school, right? So, like, Giordano, like, they're not a lot of fucking Italians. I... Unless you're in North Beach and you're, like, dealing Dungeness crab all over the place, right? Like... No, for sure. Like, I don't think Vincent um, came from me being concerned of what my name sounded like to others. It was... I think my parents wanted me to have one part of my name be, quote-unquote, normal. Okay. And Gio was given to me by my PE coach. She called me Geronimo. Geronimo? From there it went to Gio. <gasps> I think generally speaking, when people see a lot of vowels and names, they just kind of like glaze over them. It's generally the PE teachers though. Because like, <laughs> I remember a PE teacher saying my last name is Pulowski. And I was like, this isn't even remotely close. This is that's, that this was like the, Russian. Yeah. That's like Stanley Kowalski, like fucking streetcar name desire shit. It is next level. But it's always the PE teacher that fucks it up. So it was your PE teacher too, huh? Yeah. No, PE teachers are not known for their literary uh, skills. Her name was Mrs. Uh, Miss O'Donnell. Miss O'Donnell? Yeah. Okay. Well... Look like Big Bird. <laughs> uh, eyes very close together. Yeah, she, she likes strong Lots of plumage. Hair. She's very tall, but built. Not built, but she was... She's a, a towering figure. I mean, I, I was in second grade, so I think anything was towering at that point. <laughs> but Giordano, like, that's the Italian version of the name what? George? Jordan. Jordan. Yeah. Interesting. So, like, what would you... Would you just be Gio? Would you be Giordano? Or what was the vibe? Uh, it was always Giordano um, when I was young. And then I, th- I don't remember exactly when it clicked. 
but I believe it started with my PE coach and then someone started calling me Geo and then... And like the rest of like middle school, high school, you were Geo. Right. I was Geo probably starting in sixth grade, sixth or fifth grade. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so, all right. Giordano, Geo, Vincent Lagrasso. It's good to see you. It is the 18th of February. The current temperature outside is 34 degrees and cloudy. The low today was 27. It is Thursday at 9.30 at night. How's your week been? Cold. It's been cold? Why don't you explain to listeners what's been going on the past four or five days here in Texas? Well, the nights have been below 30 uh, or lower. I think one morning we were at 12, 13 degrees. Yeah, Uh, which is what I'm told at least is the lowest temperature in 35 years in Houston history, that this is some of the coldest weather we've encountered in over a generation. Yeah, I think what was most problematic was probably the, the moisture or the or the rain, right? Because when it's cold, it doesn't it's not as difficult to drive, for instance, on an on a dry cold road, but as soon as you introduce water, then you Yeah. Add a new variable. So Sunday night is Valentine's Day, right? Valentine's Day, probably one of the busiest days of the year, right? So it's a day as soon as... For New restaurants, Year's at least, right? right? Yeah. yeah. As soon as New Year's Eve is over, the first thing that you are that you have on your mind is Valentine's Day. As a restaurateur. Right. And, and for context for everyone, you run Uchi, very popular Japanese restaurant, Japanese-inspired restaurant. Sure. I mean... Yeah. Basically, New Year's Eve happens. New Year's Eve, very busy day of the year for you. And then it's just, you know, getting to Valentine's Day, right? Right. And this and the service New Year's Eve service was great, but it was wildly different than any New Year's Eve I'd ever. Why is that? Well, you had a new element, right? You had curbside, which in most restaurants that I've ever operated to go wasn't or curbside wasn't a huge piece of the pie. But but now with so many people who are hesitant to go out, and with a a, a huge portion of our dining room being reduced. You know, we have no option but to look for other outlets. So yeah. we served, I believe we served 180 guests just out out the back door. And which which is a lot by any means, but sure. like 180 people is a very large percentage of what might be total business, right. right? So we were juggling both, you know, 250 plus, almost 300 in in dining, and then another nearly 200 outside. And it was, it was really smooth. And and you know, the, the, oftentimes the the shifts that you dread the most or you're you plan for the most are are smooth. The ones that you stress out the most about end up being smooth. Hmm. Um, but do you this, think that's just a reflection of the fact that you put more effort into planning them? Or you know, I think it's always chance, right? Like there there can be a crisis at any moment on any given day. You know, busy or slow. I mean, some of the slowest shifts have been the most chaotic right as, yeah. as a, a staff often we we lose focus as it becomes slower and um i i don't know if it was you and like full disclosure right like for listeners geo at one point in time was my manager when i worked at houston's restaurant he was the general ma- the glory days but i i don't know if it was you or a previous manager who told me that the most mistakes happen at a restaurant uh, at least at Houston's restaurant, happened between the lunch pop and the dinner pop, that period of zone, because we were open continuously for service, or in that last hour of service 
between, you know, what was it? Nine o'clock and 10 o'clock, right? That's yeah, the first hour and the last hour. Yeah. You remember jumping on the line, making salads while I'm barking at you to, to move faster. I've repressed <laughs> these memories. I, I don't know what you're talking about. That might get edited out. That might not make the final cut, but um, no, but I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, you, you stress and you plan about these shifts and then there are the moments where there are unexpected crises that come up, right? So New Year's Eve, I imagine for you guys, you're not a bar. Like, do people stay until midnight on New Year's? Yeah, we've always historically had a uh, a toast. Like a sake bomb right at 11.59? Uh, sure. I mean, we were pouring sparkling of some sort, but it was... Uh, no sake bomb? No sake bomb. Have some hot sake. We, I mean, we offer, you know, a lot of our... Do you offer hot sake? Sure. We offer uh, several types. Generally, we have like our generic uh, entry-level sake that we, we warm, but we also offer a lot of the other premium sakes that are meant to be served warm we at per request will will warm them for our guests well listeners avid listeners of by the glass will know that this is actually um our second episode with a high hospitality employee because we had matt Matt taylor Taylor. we had uh matt taylor friend of the pod on to do a 101 of sake education and he spoke about hot sake how there are really great examples of sake that is served warm or hot that actually accentuates the aromatics that it's not just shitty sake that is right. served hot. And that's part of the challenge is like people get enough information to be dangerous where they think that all hot sake is bad. And then you have to like bring them back in and be like, no, actually there are some examples that don't need to be served at cellar temp or cold. Right. So, okay. So New Year's Eve happens. You have a really great shift. You get to Valentine's Day weekend. So what was kind of like the plan for Valentine's Day? Like what did you guys have in the works? So with with the success of New Year's Eve and having done curbside and having kind of a blueprint of what that was supposed to look like and understanding how many guests we could serve, you know, per hour, for instance, uh, we had a pretty good understanding of what we were going to do going into it. And so we started by allowing our guests to bring home the Valentine's Day omakase. And we allowed them to do that leading up to... Sunday. So Valentine's Day was on a Sunday this year, and and as a restaurateur, that is that a good thing or a bad thing? From a sense that it's a good thing, right? Because you get you get everyone who has a normal nine to five Monday through Friday. They come out Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. Sunday night historically is uh, busy early and and slow late. And like historically, so, that's what Sundays look like. Yeah, it's a it's a mad dash at four or five. You know, now we open an hour earlier, but it, it settles down very quickly. And so we expected to be busy Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we even expected to have some residual on on Monday and Tuesday for those guests who weren't able to secure reservations. Oh, so you guys were planning on being open for President's Day? Yeah, I mean. We don't close often. We are uh, lucky enough to be led by people who believe in, in some family time. And so, you know, New Year's Eve, we work, but New Year's Day, we're off. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we're off. Super Bowl, we're off. And uh, a few other Mondays throughout the year, Fourth of July, which is always a big one. So we did. Um, so leading up to Valentine's Day, we were offering the omakase Friday and Saturday, and we intended to do it Sunday as well. With Valentine's, we we weren't going to break the mold, uh, but we were going to broaden uh, the availability of, of that dinner over Friday and Saturday, mm-hmm. which 
which I'm glad we did. And it, it allowed us to kind of get some reps um, and get ready for the big night. And the big night never came. Were you able to like salvage a part of the night? No, we, we went home probably around two o'clock. Two o'clock in the afternoon? Yeah. Holy shit. So like looking back on where you were on Sunday, like you woke up Sunday morning with the intention of like fully working that day or was there already kind of like a groundswell yeah. of support around the idea of like not just bailing on that shift? No, there 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 was definitely a cloud of sorts hanging over that day. And uh, we thought going into it, it was going to be 50-50. And, and as the weather report became clear, we noticed that there was going to be low temperatures and precipitation. And at that point, we, in an abundance of caution for both our guests and our staff, wanted to close early. And, after- and this decision is made entirely on a store level. Like, were you given any feedback from like, Anyone else, like the mayor or the city as a whole or company policy, because you're a Texas-based company? Like, what what's kind of the vibe there? I got some weird emails that day from the city reaching out to us, not directly, but just kind of what almost Sliding into like, the Uchi DMs? It, like, yeah, it like, almost looked like spam. Like, I didn't really understand what was going on, but it, you know, the... The subject lines were a little scary and were like, you know, everyone needs to be in by X amount of time. It wasn't like a firm mandate, but it... It, it wasn't a curfew, but it was a strong suggestion right. that you should not keep your employees on on hand like until a certain hour. Right. And so for us, it was just, it made the most sense to kind of cut it. The idea before closing entirely was, you know, I remember that morning we started making calls to all of our guests past the nine o'clock hour, excuse me, past the eight o'clock hour. So your dinner only concept, you open at four o'clock right? and last seating is at what? 10 o'clock on Sundays? uh, 10 o'clock generally. But again, because we wanted to take full advantage of, of the Valentine's holiday, right? We decided to stay open an hour later, like we do on Fridays and Saturdays. Okay. So a week prior, we extended that and we amass all of these reservations and you know less than a week later we were calling those same reservations to tell them that we weren't going to be open so who's responsible for making that call yeah it's not an easy call to make for sure but uh it's it's a team effort i mean in that case i think our reservationist karen Yo, shout out Karen, the god, the rock star. Karen, Karen's great. And the more I call guests, I, I have more of an appreciation for it. So I had to call guests today for Friday's service to confirm that if we were to, in fact, be open, would they come in? And um, We're not sure if we're going to be open, but if we are open, will you be there? Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> what, a, what a strange, like, sideways situation to be in. Uh, a lot of respect to Karen for uh, for making a lot of calls. She confirms every reservation. That's wild. So it is Sunday morning. You guys initially think you're just going to call off reservations after 8 o'clock. Right. And when do you make the hard decision to call off everything for the entire day? You know, after doing, you know, some some discuss- internal discussions we it became clear that it didn't make sense for us to bring in the staff on an already really cold day i mean i i, I don't know for sure but i, I want to say it was in the mid 20s hmm. um, low 30s and that was midday 
and we knew that the rain was going to come. And so we decided that it didn't make sense for us to open at all. So like that is a brutal decision, right? Like in terms of for someone who earlier described the fact that New Year's Eve, it's a drought until Valentine's Day, relatively speaking, sure. right? Is there any like second guessing that decision? Like, you know, we, we operate to, to bring memories to our guests. We operate to, to give our staff an opportunity to work. We operate, you know, for our own livelihoods. But um, anytime you make the decision to close, uh, you know that it's going to have far reaching implications within your group and within your guest base. Yeah. It, it's not easy to call a guest on probably the, the, it's a, it's a, it's a holiday that everybody looks forward to for them and their, and their partner. When do you start taking reservations for Valentine's Two to three Day? months in advance. And I'd say we're booked 30 days in, you know, there are 30 days out rather. Wow. And, um, so to, to call these guests who've probably, you know, marked this date on their calendar months in advance and to tell them probably that morning that we're not going to be able to serve them was hard. So we've talked a lot about Valentine's day proper, right? The shift that you had looked forward to a lot. And now all of a sudden the decision gets made not only to call off all reservations from eight o'clock onward, but all reservations for the entire day. And as the day progresses, weather gets worse and worse. The plan was always to be open on President's Day. And then yeah. Monday morning you wake up and... It was white out. And there, you could barely see the street. And uh, I went and made a, a snowman with my daughter. And um, Yo, shout out Sienna. Shout out Sienna. Shout out the goddaughter. Fantastic little girl. Um, yeah, it was just... There was snow. And I I had never seen snow in texas fall from the sky right you could you'd see it kind of like accumulate here and there overnight whatnot you um, might see it in like north texas like in like in dallas sure in dallas you might encounter some snow but in houston absurd the amount of snow that was accumulating so there was a ton of snow everywhere so like when you looked out the window and you see snow is your first thought like oh this is beautiful is your first thought like oh fuck the restaurant like what what goes through your mind full, first full disclosure it was you know, what, what's going to happen tonight? Are we going to be open tonight? <laughs> it's not what beautiful memories can I create <laughs> no. with my daughter. <laughs> no, those, uh, those came quickly after and we uh, went to go make short a snowman. Yeah. Uh, but no, you know, you wake up every morning and, and generally speaking, you look at your phone to see, you know, what emails have come through. Have you gotten any good reviews? Have you gotten any bad reviews? I sense that most operators, uh, are, wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is they check their phone to see if you know anything happened an alarm went off well i mean i've i've had to go into the restaurant at three o'clock in the morning because the alarm company calls and they tell me that they have a break-in and um you know you immediately go to your phone you look at the surveillance and in the prior case i didn't have access to the surveillance but um we drove Chantal and I drove to the restaurant and the the office was ransacked. The safe was not open, but it, it looked like it, there was many attempts to open it. I remember that that was in November. That was November. What? 2015. That was a long time ago. Yeah. And, uh, you are constantly on call. I mean, I'm not going to say that you're a doctor, but you certainly, 
can get calls at any time of the day and and there's it's not a Monday through Friday. I, I remember us once having a conversation about what it's like to be a restaurant manager and it's the idea that you are there to put out any and every fire that comes up. That the mentality of a good general manager is someone who can immediately address any crisis, right? Is there a certain sort of like routine that you go through? Like, you know, I first I'd say that you have to have a, a team that you can delegate to and that is is capable and I certainly have that and I've certainly had the pleasure of working with some great people over the years and and they're as much uh you know a part of the success of the restaurant as I am so I won't, I won't put it all on my shoulders but you know I, I would say the first thing that you do is is stay calm right take a deep breath really have an understanding of okay what's going on what do I need to get done who can I call you know it, it's very easy to allow like the adrenaline of the situation to take a hold of you, but you kind of just stay calm. And uh, there's really no routine, right? Because every call is different, right? Whether it's a... Oh, every table call is different. Every busted pipe, every whatever facility shit that goes wrong. Everything is different. You have a sense of humor, man. Honestly, like (laughs) the stuff that, that gets put on our plates on a daily basis, it's comical, man. Like, you know, you go from... Yeah, I mean, like, what are some of the things that you've had to encounter? Maybe going back, because you I worked mean, I've, for... I've squeegeed, uh, can I say shit on this thing? You can say whatever you want, baby. I mean, you know, you squeegee feces, uh, there's overflowing toilets, uh, there's dumpster fires, there's... Literal dumpster fires. Literal dumpster fires. There's, in all the restaurants that I've worked in to date... And you've worked in a lot, right? Because like when you worked at for Houston's restaurant, you worked in LA, you worked in Atlanta, you worked in Florida. Some of the wildest things that I've had to deal with as an operator, the first one that sticks out was probably a bomb scare. Holy shit. Where did you have to deal with a bomb scare? So now- That sounds like- Yeah, Atlanta. (laughs) Right. Of course. Yes. Sadly. But um, no, I just recall this gentleman comes in, he has a backpack on- don't think anything of it. And then he just is very, he just seems out of place, right? Like he's looking around. He's not engaging with any of the of uh, the staff. He doesn't walk up to the host stand. He kind of kind of meanders around the dining room and the bar. And then, you know, I approach him to ask if I can provide any kind of guidance or help. Which salad dressing you want on your club salad? I didn't ask him that. Maybe I should have. It would have disarmed the situation. No, but he, so he like evades me. He goes to the bathroom and he locks himself in the stall. Oof. And so, you know, I'm not at that point. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to let him do his thing. Right. And I'll, I'll, as long as on the the way out, he goes, okay, great. I'm going to cut my losses. No big deal. If you're in Atlanta at this point, Gio is in his mid twenties. Sure. Yeah. Closer, to relatively young right. as a manager, pretty yeah. green in yeah. the big scheme of things. Yeah. You're not a GM at that point. No, no. And so the guy comes out of the restroom, and I allow him to keep walking, and he walks down the the expo line. And so then I stop him, and I, I'm like, "Hey, man, like, can I help you with something?" And he's like, "No." And he turns around like he's gonna just walk out. And then he swings at me. Holy shit. And like, I'm at this point, like I'm already anxious of, of him. And now I'm like, 
fearful and he, you're a tall gentleman though right like is this guy that tall i mean look like he's a stranger i don't know like he could be doing any yeah 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 any sort of thing Cocaine's one hell of a drug, as Rick James once said. <laughs> so anyways, I follow him into the dining room because I think he's leaving and he and he puts down his backpack and begins to walk away from it. And I'm like, I grab his back. I'm, I'm sorry, you, here's your backpack. And he's like, there's a bomb in it. Holy and shit. And the entire dining room, I don't know how they heard it, but he was in the middle of it and they all like, oh it goes silent Half of the people like start screaming, others like duck or whatever. I, I there's like the amount of my peripheral vision like immediately <laughs> like went here. Oh and, my god, dude! And so, um, I don't remember really what happens beyond that, but he just grabs his backpack and runs outside, and the cops came and. Did they? Did the cops give you any sort of follow up? So the cops told me that he um, is a local student at at the the state college, and yeah, so that was that was scary for sure. That's terrifying. I mean, what what went through your mind when he says that's a bomb? Is your thought like I got to get this bomb out? Is your thought like all these guests that are freaking out that are jumping out of their booths? I mean, like, uh, I mean, selfishly, I was just like, I need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> I was just more concerned that he was going to do something silly in the dining room. Grab blow up. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, blow something up. Yeah, blow something pretty, up with the bomb silly. that he says yeah. that he has. Right. Yeah, that would be problematic for sure. So that that was certainly uh, a memorable day. So that's Atlanta. That is that is one of the first restaurants you work at. Yeah. You worked at um, the... What is it? The um, Palm Beach Grill. Palm Beach Grill. Like a stone's throw away from Mar-a-Lago, right? Like very close by. I prefer to uh, associate it with the Breakers. It's a historic hotel. Ah, did Trumpito ever make a guest appearance while you were there? Nope. No? no he, he just dined some... on site. He got he... high on his own supply. He did not. Yeah, I don't think he ventured too far. I don't know if he served burgers. But Robert Kraft, right? Yeah. We had uh, some of the big names was... Or Robert Kraft, Jack Nicholas, Dan Marino, uh, Jack Welsh. Of all the, the celebrities that I've ever met, honestly, the one that I was most starstruck by was Sinbad. I don't know why. Sinbad? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I saw him and I was... Because he's such a uh, like comic comical figure. Like he's, he's uh, like bigger than life, you know? He he's a relatively tall individual, right? He's t- yeah, he's tall. He's tall. He's got like you don't see a lot of comedians these days that have this like athleticism to them, right? Like I don't know. I feel like a lot like Chris Rock is pretty. No, no, no. Right? I mean, like comedy has become like a nerdy thing. Like comedy used to be like a sexy like I'm gonna do a stand up routine, and now it's become this like geeky shit that like n- it's nerds like, geek uh, out on. You Eddie know, Murphy and his red yeah, fucking raw. Like versus... yeah, no, 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 for sure. But anyways, like you worked in Florida, you worked in L.A., you worked in Atlanta, you worked in Houston, you worked in all these different markets. I mean, I feel like at the end of the day, as a restaurant manager, so much of what you do is just like facilities maintenance. It's just like making sure that you. You stay on top of like whatever shit is going on in the restaurant so that you don't end up in a situation where like the dumpster catches on fire or something like that. No, for Not sure. Not that the dumpster can't catch on fire if you don't perform a regular maintenance of the dumpster, but like, 
I don't know. Was there anything unique to working in each of those markets that like you encountered? Well, Florida was certainly unique because of the propensity of hurricanes. Did you have to deal with any hurricanes sure. while you're down yeah. there? So, like, what is hurricane crisis management like for a restaurant in Florida? Uh, the first thing you would probably do is cut back on orders so that your walk-in is light. And the second thing you want to do is reach out to your whatever contractors that you work with in the past who can put up your hurricane shutters. Are hurricane shutters something that you yourself have or like your contractors like keep that shit on file? It depends on the on your facility if you're able to store them in-house. I think in, in at the Palm Beach Grill, we had them in-house and we would have to call our uh, contractor to come out and to put them up. So like us. you kept these things on hand. They were on Deckington and then Homeboy comes out, installs right. them. right. Okay, cool. Like, so that was a big thing. What major hurricane were you there for? <laughs> they all kind of blend together. I don't remember the names. I mean, I, there was certainly some that that just I a cat tried. call of like we got all these motherfuckers. I think Maria, there. Irene were were some that that stand out if I remember. Okay, um, but you know, in in some cases you were leaving because it was. Like, did you ever evacuate when you were in Florida? Well, I, I did evacuate once in Florida. I evacuated to Houston and then Harvey came. But yeah, so so the the, the hurricanes are certainly something to, to fear in Florida. I mean, I encountered earthquakes as a kid and, and to me a hurricane is much more concerning. When did you encounter an earthquake as a kid? Uh, there's Loma Prieta in 1989. I was six years old. Loma Prieta. Right, which is named after the the fault line, whatever is, uh, you know, shifting at that point. And um, I don't remember what the, the magnitude was, but as a kid, it was certainly shocking. I believe it was in the middle of the uh, Giants and A's World Series, which was always, uh, you know, something that stood out about that time. But um, no, I just, I remember I was in, in the home and, and the... Uh, house started shaking and i was in the bathroom i'm not sure where in the bathroom i was like you were in the bathroom because there was an earthquake or you were already in the bathroom i was in the act of masturbating just vigorously sure yes (laughs) (laughs) that's what was happening and then yeah i was i was in the bathroom and uh you know you just hear this this rumbling and this and this roar and you're like holy smokes i gotta get out of here and so you start the you can it's the fun house like where the walls are, you know, it's very disorienting. And um, I remember vividly that pasta sauce was falling off of the top shelf of the uh, cabinets as I was trying to, to leave the back door. And uh, when I got outside, you know, the pool was like, there's like tidal waves going on and stuff. And it's crazy. And, um, but I also remember my dad was in home and, and he was at the restaurant. And then I remember... And a little bit of context here is that your father ran a restaurant named Del Bafo. And um, so I just remember him not being home. And when the earthquake hit, I remember my mom trying to reach out to him but couldn't because all the all the phone lines were... Was the restaurant lunch and dinner? Or? Yeah, the, restu- the, the restaurant was lunch and dinner. Um, it was a fancy restaurant, quote unquote, right? Servers were in tuxedos. Uh, there were Gerdons, uh, you know, throughout the restaurant. There were the Gerdons actually had a gas 
So it would do like Steak Diane and Flambe. For people that don't know what a Steak Diane is. Uh, I think it's just like steak, cream sauce, and mushrooms with like some kind of uh, brandy or something that like lights on fire and gets everyone excited. Everyone likes a little pyrotechnic. Yeah, the, the Caesar salad was certainly not as uh, entertaining, but it was very good, and that was done table set as well. But yeah, it was it was uh, it was a very starchy, uh, you know, feel. But back then, that was I guess what was desired. You know, it's funny because I don't know a lot of people that work in restaurants whose parents worked in restaurants. Like, I feel like you talk to people that work in restaurants and they're like, this is great. I love it. It's a it's a passion project. I'm very happy to do it. I don't wish it on anyone else, you know, and your father did it and now you're doing it. Was your father excited about the idea of you working in a restaurant? Yeah, it seemed natural, right? Like every job I had leading up to that uh Actually, I, I held some jobs that I may not be so um, excited to tell people about. But Magic Mike? No, it was it was like Blockbuster and Macy's and Sharper Image and which department of Macy's were you in? Ralph Lauren, baby. It was it wasn't very glamorous. You folded clothes all day. It was mm. terrible. The discount was good. Hell yeah! But yeah, so you know. Worked in a bunch of different places, but, uh, you know, working for my father was, was always something that, you know, just came natural and, um, he never allowed me to work in the front of the house. Might've been my chubby demeanor, uh, at that point in my life. But for listeners of the pod, Gio is not a chubby individual at the moment. He is a chiseled, (laughs) tall, six foot four gentleman, six foot four. Would that be a correct statement? Everything you've said so far is false. Uh, are you six foot five? No, uh, I'm six foot. And For I'm real? Chiseled, and I'm technically obese, according to my physician. For real? Yes. <laughs> Damn, COVID been rough on you, boy. Well, I got my first vaccine shot because I am considered obese. Wait, no, wait. For real? Yeah. <laughs> I did not know this. Thanks to my wife, she got it all set up. Oh, did she like say that you were obese when you're not actually on the BMI scale? I am 31 point something on the BMI scale. Oh, well, that's just overweight. That doesn't, that's not obese, I think, on the scale. Thank you. I don't know. Where were we? I don't know where we were. What were we talking about? We were talking about working for my dad. We were talking about working for your father. So your father says you cannot work front of house. Well, it wasn't like a declaration. He just said, I want you to learn the kitchen. My father was a chef, so it was important. Did he go to culinary school? Uh, he did. Um, not, you know, it's not as um, illustrious. It's not the CIA or whatever, but... Did he go to culinary school in the U.S. or in Italy? No, it was in Italy. He worked on a lot of cruise ships, and, and many would consider that, you know, schooling in, in some right, but... For Andrea, his first cooking gig was on a ship. Granted, it was for the Navy. It was, like, I believe a military-based cooking gig, but I'm pretty sure for Andrea's first gig was on a boat. I would liken that... To, to my father, I mean, he, he was in the uh, Italian Navy, and that's kind of, I wouldn't say where it started, but that was what he was doing uh, out, of, out of high school or probably when he was supposed to be in high school. And then from there, he went to New York and uh, worked in, in some hotels. Was that hard for him to get a gig in the U.S. at that time? Like, I don't know what... He told me it was all very cutthroat. Um, it, it, it was very similar to... Um, you know, the experiences that some of, uh, of my Latino, uh, 
you know, cooks and, and, and chefs that I've worked with in the past. Have... So how did your father finally get like a strong foothold here in the U.S.? Like how did that end up coming together for him? Uh, well, he borrowed money from my mom and opened up his first restaurant, which he uh, named after my mom. And um, that went went pretty How well. did he name it after her? Uh, Katrina was mm. the name of the restaurant. My mom's name is Catherine, so that's the mm. translation. But um, Wouldn't play so well here on the Gulf Coast these days. What's that? Katrina. You can't name oh, a yeah. restaurant Katrina. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't do that. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, so he, that was... That was the first uh, first spot, and then Dabafa was was fantastic. It it was a grand uh, award winner for twenty five years in a row. The wine list was, um, you know, it looked like a Webster's dictionary, and uh, it was it was certainly something to be definitely an Italian restaurant, right? Like that was the vibe. Yeah, it was. It was. Or was it French or like what was the what was the it was considered like continental cuisine. I mean, it, it kind of dabbed in a little bit of everything. And it was in what? Menlo Park? Like... Menlo Park, yeah. I think he just chose to open there because it was close to where he wanted to live. And uh, that was enough for him. Hmm. I mean, like, when you think about your life and how you wake up on Monday morning and you look out and you see snow on the ground and your daughter's like excited to play in the snow. And your first thought is, I wonder if the restaurant's okay. Right? Like, do you think about your father being in a similar position of managing crises and putting the restaurant occasionally before family matters? I mean, even when that earthquake happened, he wasn't at home, right? He was at the restaurant. Like, was that a thing that like came up much growing up? You know, it, when you reflect on it, you will remember that there were times that your your dad um, and and my mom worked for him too. So your dad or your mom weren't weren't always there, but um, you certainly don't hold it. Um, you don't hold a grudge, or I don't hold a grudge certainly. But yeah, I mean there were, there were often times when he wasn't there, and that was okay. But you don't think about it when you're you know eight, nine, ten, eleven years old you just think dad's going to work right and yeah. granted dad went to work at, on the weekends and went to work probably later in the day than most of the kids parents went to work and came home later than when a lot so, of the kids parents yeah went dad, to work, right? dad yeah dad took me to school rather uh, every morning but then he went to work immediately after that so we talked about hurricanes we talked about hurricanes we, we didn't talk about floods we talk about floods yeah i mean you were a manager for houston's through many a flood here in Houston, Texas, right? I never thought I was coming to the flood capital of, of the country, but it's Dude, it up. I feel like, at least in the time that I worked for the company, which overlapped with you to a large degree, right? Like, Hurricane Harvey happened. Granted, you at that point, I believe, were already with Uchi. But even before that, the Memorial Day flood, the Tax Day flood. That was crazy. I mean... And... It's a similar situation where, like, you wake up in the morning and you think that the weather is going to be a certain way. Like, when you look back on those particular times, like, do you remember getting an email from corporate or, like, any sort of notification as to, like, what to do? No, I think it was on you to to connect the dots, right? I think oftentimes you're uh, a better barometer for what's happening in your city than 
than your colleagues that, are, that, that may be elsewhere. Do you think it's easier when you have a large, in the case of Houston's, right? Like it is a restaurant group with 44 restaurants in 12 different states. Is it easier to make that decision as an operator of one location when you have like the parent institution or when you're the single like owner operator, like your father was of a restaurant? Like, is that the tougher call? Like to put yourself in both of those positions, which one do you think would be more tricky? When your closure could affect your, your family directly, um, I think that, you know, you, it's, it's a heavy, it's a difference between being salaried, being, being right. essentially a hundred percent commission right. based on like the sales of the business. And I think at that point in my career, like it was all numbers. Uh, I, I wasn't as in tune with it, with my staff. I, I wasn't as empathetic of, of what, you know, a closure could mean to them. I was, what do you really, mean by that? Uh, I think, you know, Back then, it was more about, I want to stay open. And this was also because that's what I was taught. You want to stay open every time. Any Anything that comes your way, if you feel like in the slightest that you can weather it, no pun intended, that you're, you're, you're going to operate and be open. And you're going to do everything you can. And, and I think that, that was something that Hillstone definitely instilled in me was that... Um, the default is open. The default is open. Right. Well, like a big change for you, right, is that you're, you, when you started working as a general manager, you were managing a restaurant. Now you're essentially the general manager of your household, right? Like over the past, let's say four years, three years, your life has changed a lot. Now you have two children. So like, I mean, as challenging as this freeze has been from managing the restaurant, how has being in a restaurant capacity impacted the way in which you manage crises within the home? And a crisis within the home can vary, right? It can be <laughs> it can be your daughter having a temper tantrum that she can't make cookies at night, or it could be the fact that you lose power and water and you're dealing with a family, you know, trying to make do, right? Like how has managing crises in a restaurant helped there? I think you're just more patient. Working in a restaurant, you have to be patient and um, being head of household, so to speak, certainly pushes or or strains that patience level. Um, I think that's what's helped me, you know, be be a a good father. But this week has really been challenging, right? So like, you know, the the freeze, we were concerned about pipes breaking. We had uh, three nights where we had no power and it was scary, man. We were huddled up. Often. You have a you have a kid that's ten months old. Yeah, I mean, uh, my wife slept with him under God knows how many blankets. Uh, there was no power, so it was cold. Uh, Sienna slept in her room under a ton of blankets. I slept in my room under a ton of blankets. So, yeah, I mean, it that was challenging. And then in the and the whole time in the back of your head, all you're thinking about is how are we going to open what's going bad in the, in the refrigerator are we going to get deliveries you know or how's our staff is our staff yeah okay numerous uh, texts that i received over that that period of time were of of staff who were you know a little distressed and uh that was hard to hear i commend those guys man they they uh they work hard and um 
they're great people to work with. So how many times between Sunday when you made the decision not to close and right now on Thursday night, have you been to the restaurant to check in on it? Three or four times. Yeah. And what are you checking when you go in there? I mean, the first thing you're checking is, you know, your water pressure. Um, you're checking, are, are there leaks, right? You know, we're in a historic building. So oftentimes our ceiling is leaky. Beyond that, you want to make sure that your toilet's flush, that you have running water. I mean, those are the essentials, right? You can, yeah. you know, we've had boil notices or, or whatnot, and um, we've been able to, to manage those. Those aren't so bad, but floods are a different deal. Earthquakes are a different deal. Hurricanes are, are much more concerning. It's Thursday night. Are you guys planning to be open tomorrow? We do plan on opening tomorrow. What are your hopes and fears for weekend service, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at I think the restaurant? The, I think the worst is is behind us. Um, right now, I just want to make sure that we have water pressure. And you know, if there's a boil notice, then we'll just boil water, um, and that's fine. But water pressure is the, the big one. Obviously, power, but it seems like that's been um, more consistent. Fingers crossed. Let's hope so. Giordano Lagrasso, Gio Vincent Lagrasso, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Chris. Had a great time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. You can stream every episode of By the Glass ever on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Audible, wherever you stream audio content, you can find it. Make sure you follow By the Glass so you never miss an episode, and we will see you very soon with another episode of By the Glass. So stay warm, keep drinking good wine, and check your pipes. Make sure that they are not busted. We'll see you soon.